The scripture this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 56, verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thanks, Ben. I know some of you have been around since the first of the year. You're saying, hey, wait a minute. That's not the book of Acts. And you're right. That's from Isaiah. Uh, We are still in the book of Acts. So turn to chapter 8 of the book of Acts. But you're going to see very quickly why that passage in Isaiah is also really important to uh, what we're going to be looking at um, this morning. Uh, Before we get into that, and I want to pray, if I remember, I want to pray, my short-term memory is getting all messed up, I want to pray before we start the sermon, but I have some, a uh, couple of other things just to, just to mention to you. Uh, first of all, I was in Peoria last week, preaching at their two services, uh, Redemption Peoria, and uh, you remember a couple years ago, we planted that congregation, and um, uh, Sean, the lead pastor who was here for three years prior to being sent out, um, he's been on leave of absence since the first of the year, and so all the other pastors at all the other congregations of redemption have been going in and, and helping each week by, by preaching there uh, during his leave of absence. He just had some health things that he needed to work through, but uh, I got to be there this last Sunday when they announced that he is uh, doing uh, well and that they are bringing him back on the 23rd, so they were very excited about that, but I still got to go to Peoria and see a lot of old uh, familiar faces from Arcadia because we sent 60 adults and 30 children out uh, on that church plant. So that was a lot of fun. They are doing really well. They have two services. They are meeting in Centennial High School now because they outgrew the uh, Peoria per, uh, Center for Performing Arts. And I will tell you, uh, of all the uh, high school setups and grade school setups I've seen for a church, this is the best setup I've ever seen. They've really done a great job. It's, it's a great new home for them as they wait to see what God does in terms of a permanent home for them. It felt like I was in a different time zone going all the way out to Peoria, but nevertheless, I was able to make it back, and it was, it was a lot of fun. So they do send you greetings and salutations, and the elder that was in charge of the service that day at Peoria made sure that all of the congregation at Peoria was reminded that we were the, we, we, we were the parent church at Arcadia, so that was really sweet to be out there for that um, as well. Uh, the other thing I want to mention uh, this is really important. Easter is next Sunday. And, and as you know, our venue is a little bit smaller than the one that we were renting at, at Easter time last year. And so we are a little bit concerned about the 9 o'clock and the 1045 services. And so we want to just really appeal to you guys, if you do not have children who are a part of the uh, children's ministry during the 9 or 1045 service, if you are not a part of that, if you would please prayerfully consider coming to our 730 service or our 5 o'clock service, it would be really helpful for us because Easter is that that one Sunday of the year where we get a shot with visitors who are here for the first time and maybe checking out church for the first time. It's when people feel most comfortable inviting uh, non-believing friends uh, to their church. And so we really want to be able to have seats in those, in those, the 9 and the 1045. Because if you're inviting somebody new to church, that's first of all kind of a big ask. And then if you ask them to come at 7.30 in the morning, well, you can just forget it. So we're asking you guys to be servants of Jesus and your church and come to the 7th. How was that for laying on a little um, 
a little Protestant guilt on y'all. Is that, does that work? Okay, that's really good. All right. So anyway, you got the message. All right. Let me pray, and we'll get started in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. God, uh, again, we pray for everything that's going on in our world today, and especially for our brothers and sisters in Egypt today as they deal with what happened there uh, earlier today. Um, God, we know that you are sovereign, but in the midst of, of, of wickedness and evil and violence and destruction and death, and murder, it's hard to see that sometimes. So uh, remind us of your faithfulness and your promise this morning. Uh, what a great passage to be able to do that with this Ethiopian guy. And so I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to everything that you have for us today. Again, I just pray that you would move me out of the way to the extent that you can be heard this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I love this chapter because, again, the contrast that, uh, that Luke shows us. He's just narrating the story of the early church, and there is a big contrast here. Last week, you saw Luke evangelize many. I'm sorry, you saw Philip, the deacon, who was probably a very good friend of Stephen's, who was just martyred. You saw Philip evangelize many in Samaria, and today, he gets to hang out with just one. And so this reminds us that while there is work that must be done for the many, there is very important work that needs to be done for just one. And so that leads us perfectly into our big idea for today. Uh, and, and our big idea is very simple. Availability. It's a good thing. Be available. So we're going to dive right into the scripture. We're going to uh, read this in three different sections, unpack it, and then we're going to give you some things to take away and think about uh, as you go this morning. So 26 through 29. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So an angel comes to Philip and calls him to go to a different place in order to serve God in his mission and in his ministry to serve others. And I want us to see this right out of the gate. I know some people might ask, how come an angel never calls me? Well, um, God calls in many different ways, and we're going to get to that in, in a few minutes. But I also want to remind you that are saying, how come God doesn't call me like this? How come an angel doesn't come to me? I want you to see this so that you understand what it is you're asking for and what you're praying for, okay? Uh, how, how well do you really want what Philip is being assigned to? Philip... Look at the details here. He's being called to Gaza. He's a Jew. He's being called to a desolate desert place. He, he's being called to a place that uh, any just clear-headed thinking person really would not want to go. And it's a hundred miles away. And you need to remember uh, that there was no light rail. There, were, there was no bus. There was no taxi cab. There was no plane. Uh, he didn't even have a He had to walk a hundred miles to get to this call that God was placing on his life. In other words, he was being called, but he was being called to something that was sacrificial, inconvenient, and dangerous. Sacrificial, inconvenient, and dangerous. Listen, when God calls us, 
There's three things that we can be sure of. Number one, God will never call us to something that contradicts his word. We'll talk a little bit more about this, but we need to remember. I I run into a lot of people, I feel the Holy Spirit calling me to do this. Well, God says something different in his word. You shouldn't be called to do this. Well, I'm just sure the Holy Spirit is overriding the word of God right now. No, the Holy Spirit would never do that. That's not the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you if he's telling you to do something that is contrary to God's word. God will never contradict his word. Number two, God's work always requires his power, not our power. It's going to be done by his power. Uh, Redemption Church has seven core values and shared culture. Here are three of them. Number one, we do God's work God's way. Notice the emphasis is on God. Number two, we say that if God does not build his house, the workers labor in vain. That's Psalm 127. Again, notice the emphasis on God. And here's number three. At Redemption Church, we take God seriously, but not ourselves. Do you see the emphasis on God and his work and his power? So he's never going to contradict his word. It's always going to require his power. And number three, when God calls you, it is most likely going to press into your comfort, your ease, and your glory. I'm always shocked at the number of people who want to be called into ministry as long as it's really good and easy and glorious for them. That is really not what most ministry looks like. And yet yet Philip just goes. He goes to Gaza. This is a place that is known by historians as the last hope for water before you make that journey from that area of the fertile crescent or the non-fertile crescent into northern Africa. Okay, into Ethiopia, into Egypt. Uh, this was also not historically known as a very friendly place for the Jews. This is where the Philistines were from. So not a friendly place for a guy like Philip. Yet he goes without hesitation. He is available to God. And again, the contrast in the two stories. I, I, I use the term juxtaposition a lot for the way Luke writes in the book of Acts. Last week, masses were saved. This week, one guy But the stories are linked. Notice that in in spite of the contrast, these stories are linked because both of these stories are clearly about people who were outsiders to God's people. The Samaritans and now an Ethiopian eunuch. They are outsiders. These are the people that God's people would never go to, Samaritans and eunuchs. And that's what I love about these stories. So what about this eunuch guy? That's, that's pretty exotic, right? He's, he's, if you don't know, I'm not going to explain it. Look it up on your smartphone if you don't know what that is, all right? But here are the implications. He's serving in the court of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. Very, very important. Runs the country. So he's thought to be the number two in the country. Now understand, this is a great job that brings with it lots and lots of power he was probably getting six figures, at least, in his salary, a big, a big salary. He had health care. He had dental. He had disability. He had vision. He had, he had a month off every year, plus two weeks for study, okay? He had, he, he had everything, all the benefits. But you really have to want this job. The only way he could serve in the court of a woman or in the court of a king who has wives, is if you are emasculated, physically emasculated. He's also not Jewish, but he loves the God of the Jews. 
It's clear that he loves Yahweh. He loves him so much that he travels more than a couple of hundred miles just to be able to worship him in the temple in Jerusalem. Yet because he's a eunuch and because he's a Gentile, he's not Jewish, those two things, he is considered unclean by the Mosaic law, the law that he loves. So he's only allowed to hang out in the outer court of the temple. He travels all of this way and he can just get into the lobby. That's it. So he's being rejected by God's people because he wants to worship their God. He goes to this worship gathering, but he's still treated as a second-class citizen. He's what's known as a God-fearer. You'll see, that, you'll see that term a lot in the New Testament, a God-fearer. A God-fearer is somebody who's not Jewish, but who reads the Old Testament. He prays to and worships the God of the Old Testament. He prays to and worships Yahweh, the same God of the New Testament, but he's, at this time they just had the Old Testament available. So he's praying to and worshiping Yahweh. He adheres to the traditions of the Jews. He embraces the law of Moses. He's not a convert to Judaism, but he's likely considering it. Or most of the scholars say that he's already tried to convert to Judaism, but the professional religious people, the Jerusalem ruling council, said no to him because his physical status disqualifies him from being accepted into the family of God. It would be like us asking people if they had cancer before they came in here because the people of God reject people with cancer. It'd be the same thing. Be the same thing. And I want you to see again the juxtaposition. This is a man of great worldly power. But he's a total outsider when it comes to God in this case. And the man who is available to help him, Philip, is a very ordinary man with minimal world power, worldly power. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the power that leads him and the eunuch also, this is interesting, he has a scroll. And we go, okay, he's reading Isaiah, he's got a scroll. I'll tell you what, uh, it, it, again, understanding history and what, what it was like, you see that a, an individual has a scroll of the Old Testament. How? How did that happen? You and I take for granted the idea of carrying around our Bibles, that everyone has access to a Bible like we do. Not, that, not back then. Again, historians tell us that if a town had at least 100 people in it, they might have one scroll of, of the Old Testament or maybe a scroll of one of the books of the Old Testament. That's it. Because they were so rare. Because you had to actually hand copy every single one of them. So this eunuch obviously has what? He's got some dough. He's got money to be able to have his own personal scroll. And so he's reading Isaiah, and of course, we're going to find out that it's Isaiah 53. We just sang a song. The second song tonight was, uh, this morning was from uh, Isaiah 53. It's the suffering servant passage in Isaiah. It's the Messiah passage. It's the Jesus passage in Isaiah. But as we'll see, he doesn't understand what he's reading. But before we get there, I do want to show you some wonderful, I, I would say, just delicious irony. I love irony. It's only a few uh, verses later, he's reading in Isaiah 53. Now remember, they didn't have chapter and verse divisions then, but he's in that area of 53. If he keeps reading just a few verses later, he's going to get to chapter 56, verses 3 through 5, which is what Ben read for us. And it's, it's a passage that's especially for him. 
Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, that's the, that's the Ethiopian, he's the foreigner joining himself to the Lord. Let him not say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and all within my walls a monument and a name Better than, than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God loves the Ethiopian, and God loves the eunuch. Remember, I want you to remember this, back from uh, Stephen's sermon. God is not bound by a nation, he's not bound by a building, and he's not bound by a moral code. He has his own moral code, and that is that he loves people. Okay? All right, let's continue in the story. The next a uh, little bit, 30 through 33. So Philip ran over to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Uh, funny little historical note that you should know. Um, in the first century, it was normal. It was the standard operating procedure that even if you were reading to yourself, you would read out loud. Can you imagine what our coffee houses around Arcadia would be like if everybody read out loud? What it would be like to be on a commercial airline if everybody read out loud? So Philip knows what he's reading, of course, and as God would have it, he's reading from the passage that had recently taken place just a few months earlier in Jerusalem. Jesus, God's long-awaited Messiah, the suffering servant, has been crucified. So God teased this up beautifully for Philip. Yet Philip, understand, Philip is nowhere near the equal of this guy. And so it's an act of humility that the Ethiopian eunuch lets Philip up into his chariot. You need to understand how humble and how ready to serve and to submit this powerful Ethiopian court official is. And again, I do this all the time. You should know Isaiah 53 by now, but I'm going to read it to you again, starting in 52, 13. This is what he was reading for context and for weight. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of, of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths for, because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. This is about Jesus, 700 years before Jesus was born. And who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Imagine the eunuch reading this for the very first time and wondering, who is this person that the author is talking about? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. And, and we, like sheep, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned away, everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet, yet, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And, and like a sheep that, is, that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Which, by the way, is exactly what happened. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, uh, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he pours out his soul to death and, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now I want you to consider what we've seen so far in Acts. This is one of the reasons I read this. It's a prominent passage in, in Isaiah, the, the book of the Jews, okay? The new church in Acts has been studying, reflecting on, and believing the scriptures about Jesus. But the religious ruling council in Jerusalem, all the professional religious people, all the people with the seminary degrees, they're missing the point of the scriptures. They know these scriptures, but they are purposely missing the point. And now we have this outsider, this Ethiopian eunuch, doing everything he can to understand the scriptures. And so we look at the rest of, uh, of this story, verses 34 through 40. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he, was, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea, which is where Philip stayed then, and we are, we, we are introduced to him again in Acts 21 in Caesarea. So the Ethiopian says, who's the author talking about? This is what I'm struggling to understand. And Philip just has a ball telling him about Jesus. Let me tell you something. You don't need a seminary class to be able to tell people about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You're qualified to tell other people about Jesus. That's it. He just tells them about Jesus. He says, I've been saved by the Messiah, by the cross, by the resurrection. God's people, however, as we've been seeing, they're so embedded in their power and status that they don't want to see this. The outsider sees this, and, he's, and, and, and here's Philip. Tell him about Jesus, and what's his conclusion? Well, this is obvious. Jesus is the Messiah. Do you see the contrast between the outsider and the insiders who do not want to see this? The gospel would disrupt the insider's life, lifestyle, and power. 
if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I, I, want you to, I want you to know from our perspective, we understand what is being asked of you when, when we say you should come to Jesus. We understand that this is going to be disruptive. We understand that this is going to be hard. We understand that it won't be easy. Your life will be disrupted. And, and if anybody ever told you coming to Jesus is really easy, I think they just mean saying that you believe in Jesus. Because then there are going to be, there are going to be, let's come on, full disclosure, right? There are going to be some challenges in this, okay? It's possible that your family, if they're not believers, they might disown you. They might turn on you. That's a common story. Certainly your friends may decide to ridicule you. The workplace certainly will shun you or make fun of you, you might even have to move. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, who was a full professor at the University of Syracuse, over the course of a couple of years was talking to a believer and began to realize that Jesus was the Messiah and that this Christianity thing was true, and she came to Christ. And in the wake of her coming to Christ, believe it or not, she had to leave her job at the University of Syracuse, and then she had to leave Syracuse and move to Pennsylvania because it was so hard for her. And if you want to read about her story, it's an interesting story. Uh, the title of her book is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's a powerful story. Consider what might happen to this Ethiopian official when he gets home. His boss, Candace, what, what, what did you do in his workplace? probably scurrying around, talking about him. Did you hear what happened to, to that guy? I don't know his name. I'd say his wife. I'm not sure if he's married. It's possible that he was, but she might be upset. Okay? Nevertheless, he's going to face disruption getting back to his home, saying, I believe in Jesus. He's going to start telling people about Jesus. But then I want you to really look at 36. Verse 36, he says, what would prevent me from being baptized? For years and years, I thought this was just a rhetorical question. It was just a way of him saying, I want to get baptized. I, I, I've come to realize lately that that's not what was going on here. He's asking a legitimate question. Is there something that would prevent me from being baptized? And the reason I say that is because the scholars, the historians, they all believe that he tried to become a Jew. He tried to convert to Judaism, and they said no because he was a eunuch and partly because he was a youth, an Ethiopian, and the Jews also had a baptism for converts of sorts. And so he's already been denied baptism. And so when he asked Philip, what would prevent me from being baptized, he's really asking him, Are, would you do it? I mean, I'm, I'm disfigured. I'm an outside. Would you baptize? He's legitimately asking and hoping for a different answer. He's used to law trumping grace. That's what he's used to. And he's worried about this. He's praying for the grace and mercy that he had not yet been shown by God's people. Philip makes an incredible difference in one person's life. I, 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 he was available. That's it. He was just available. And, and I want you to think about this. In the biblical story, if we didn't have Philip going to Samaria and preaching to the masses, if we didn't have that, and if right after this baptism, God had taken Philip away permanently, in other words, 
he had died. If all we had about Philip was this one account of him going to the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip would still be a hero of the scriptures today because he listened to the Holy Spirit, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was available for one person. We would still call him a hero of the scriptures. And then he says, well, well, how can I be used? This is, this is Philip being available. He's saying, how can I be used? I know a lot of you people ask, I ask, how can I be used by God? Here you go. How about making yourself available? Here you go. How can I be used by God? How about making yourself available for one hour every week to help somebody else understand the scriptures? That's it. Or, or, make yourself available for one hour every week for somebody else to help you understand the scriptures. That's it. Just start there. And that may be all you need, but start there. I, I think too many of us make ministry way too hard, and we also want it to be way too big. This is important. Available for just one, one person, one hour, okay? The kingdom of God needs way more people who are willing to be available to quietly serve and make a difference in just one person's life than those who desperately need to do something big for God, whatever that is. And I would say that's just pride. That's just pride getting in the way of us doing what we can. And look at the humility of both Philip and the eunuch. See, God works best when people humble themselves. And so he gets baptized. The eunuch gets down right off of that chariot and he gets baptized. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? And then Philip's taken away, ends up in Caesarea, 85 miles to the north. We see him again in Acts 21. The Ethiopian also goes on his merry way, continuing south and west. And we never hear from him again except this. All the scholars, all the historians say that this is what started the Christian church in Africa. Think about that. This is how the gospel made its way into Africa. This Ethiopian eunuch, he starts telling people and churches start getting planted. Isn't that amazing? Here you go. Four things to think about, four takeaways. The first one's from verse 31. How can I understand unless someone guides me? I, th I'm just relaying my experience as a pastor, okay? I, I'm trying hard, very hard, not to be negative. You may receive this a little bit negative. I'm sorry if that's the case. I'm just making an observation. The number of people who will complain to me that they don't understand the Bible, but they refuse to ask anyone to sit with them and explain it to them, and they refuse to go to Bible studies. In other words, they complain loud and clear that they don't understand the Bible, but they won't, they won't make time to get help from an individual or from a Bible study. That is troubling to me. And it's funny because Daryl Bach, who has written, I think, uh, the best commentary on Acts, he's a scholar at Dallas Theological Seminary. Yes, I'm giving kudos to Dallas Seminary, okay? He says this, he says the reason this is true is because he says it's rooted in, here you go, here come the knives, it's rooted in an American entitlement and consumer mentality. We just don't want to have to work for anything. 
That's, that's our way. Instead, we want it delivered to us. We want it downloaded onto our hard drive. We don't, have to, we don't ever have to want to work at any of this. Bach says this, the greatest detriment to our spirituality is an attitude of entitlement. The great, here you go. I'm struggling with my spirituality. Bach would tell you the greatest detriment to your spirituality is that you feel entitled. No, I don't. At least pray about it. That might be what it is. Now, I meet with a few guys to do this. I can't do everybody. I can't do uh, the, uh, the numbers of people who would like to do this, but it doesn't stop me from doing a few. And here you go. This is Andy Stanley. He has a church of 20,000 in, in Atlanta. He says it this way. Do for one what you can't do for all. So I'm doing for two that I, what I can't do for everybody. But I will tell you, look around this room. There are scores of people here who are fully capable of reading Scripture with you and helping you understand Scripture. You need to roll up your sleeves, quit being a wimp or a wimp-ass, and ask around. And I'll tell you, Redemption Community, small groups, that's a great place to find somebody to do this with. You know where else is a really good place to be able to find somebody to do this with is the midweek Bible studies that we have off and on throughout the year. I teach a lot of those, and we do a lot of stuff out of the Old Testament, which is really hard for some people to understand. And that's why people like the fact that we do Old Testament stuff during midweek Bible studies, because we get to explain the scriptures, the Old Testament. But also people connect during those midweek Bible studies, and they start reading together. There's also women's and men's Bible studies available for you to do this. There's a women's brunch coming up. There are tons of opportunities and options. So listen, make the move. Find someone who will read and study with you. Find a Bible study. Find a, a, an RC. Be proactive. Here's the second thing. Verse 36. He was baptized right away with absolutely no decorum. None. None. There was no concern about being embarrassed or how awkward this would look. Again, again, <laughs> here you go. I'm really on this thing today. Sorry. You thought that political message a few weeks was bad. Let me tell you something. Here we go. We have a nation of easily inconvenienced people who won't even allow themselves to get wet for Jesus. Oh, I'm going to get wet. I have to bring a change of clothes. It's going to be so hard. This guy was second in charge of a nation. And by the way, Ethiopia was a major kingdom then. Second in charge of a nation. And he got down in his regal clothing in the middle of nowhere with awkwardness and a potential embarrassment, embarrassment surrounding him. And he did business with God. And he got down there with Philip, a commoner. Jesus went to the cross for us. Do we simply not understand what an extraordinary celebration and testimony this is? Uh, last summer, we had a family who had two um, semi-adult children, meaning they were eight, 17 and 20, and, and they wanted to get baptized, and it was important that we did this fairly quickly. They had made decisions for Jesus, and, and, and we, we didn't have a baptism set up uh, on a Sunday, and so they said, we have a pool in our backyard, let's do it there. And in fact, it might even be better than doing it at church, because our unbelieving friends won't necessarily come to church, but they'll come to a party in our backyard where our kids are getting baptized. So David Massey and I went over there, 
And we, there were like 75 people there, most of them unbelievers. And we had a baptism party. There was food. There was celebration. We baptized them in their pool. And all these unbelievers got to see this celebration and this testimony. It was awesome. That's what baptism is supposed to be about. So let me ask you, if you haven't been baptized, what in the wide world of sports would prevent you from being baptized? Is it just pride? Is it fear? Is it, is it because you don't feel your worthiness? You're not. You're not worthy enough. Neither am I. But he saves us. Here you go. I know it. It's aquaphobia, isn't it? It's really shallow and we'll hold you up. Don't worry. Okay? So come, come uh, on Sunday the 23rd to our baptism class. I'm going to lead it. Uh, I'm going to take you through a couple of scriptures very quickly. There will be food there. Food for Jesus, all right? So there will be food there. Take you through. You can ask any question you want. Here's the third thing. It's from verse 39. He went on his way rejoicing. This is the correct response for what Jesus has done for us. Life is frustrating and discouraging. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Apparently it's not here. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But, but here's the good news. We need to remember that life is but a blip. It's a vapor, it's a mist, it's a blink, a flash, a flicker, a twinkle, a drop, a trace, a spark, a glance. It's a nanosecond compared to what awaits those who are redeemed by Jesus. Did I cover every possible term there? Did I get them all? I was using the thesaurus, you know. Here you go. This, this is straight from the lips of Tom Schrader. The truth is we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. That's the truth. We're going to be in the kingdom with Jesus a lot longer than we're here in this worldly kingdom. And that is cause for hope and celebration. That is cause for rejoicing. That is where even in the midst of frustration, disappointment, and annoyance, I find great hope. It's going to be a place of, of, of great celebration and rest. Here's number four. How do I know when God is calling me into some sort of ministry, vocational or otherwise, even just to serve somewhere? How do I know? You know what? There's really, there's really five things that help with this. They've always helped me. Here they are. Number one, you're reading Scripture, and you're getting prompted by Scripture in some way. So you're reading Scripture. Notice that he was reading Isaiah 53, the eunuch was. Number two, you're listening for and responding to the leading, the speaking, and the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. So you got Scripture. You got the Holy Spirit. Number three, your circumstances. It's amazing that there was this pool of water right there in Gaza, a desert place for this eunuch. Circumstances. So scripture, Holy Spirit, circumstances. Number four, the faith community. Your, your small group, your Bible study, your church, the, the Christians you hang around with, they're speaking into your life as well. Your faith community. And then number five, be available. Scripture, spirit, circumstances, community, and availability. All five are clearly present in this story. And notice with these five as our guide, there's no way that you and I can rationalize some unscriptural calling in our lives. Sometimes people will do that. They'll look at one or two of these. Usually it's the moving of the, what they call the moving of the Holy Spirit in their life or their circumstances. And they'll say, God is clearly calling me to this. But they, but they exclude the reading of scripture. They exclude community. Because that would be inconvenient and tell them that it's not real. 
you need all of these things. Here you go. This is why people who are in sin withdraw from their community. And that just makes things worse. When you're in sin, you should be pressing harder into this community. You should be pressing harder into prayer, the scriptures, and in the Holy Spirit. You should be pressing harder. You should make yourself available. Because that's how God is going to use his community, use his word, and his Holy Spirit are going to help turn you around. Because you can't turn yourself around by yourself. You can't. You cannot do it in isolation. So don't withdraw. Press in. Now, looking ahead, I, I, I want you to see that next week for, for Easter, we're going to do the conversion of Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. And just think about this during this next week, besides these other four things I gave you. You've got a lot to think about this week. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Saul was such an insider that he needed the resurrected Jesus Christ to come and knock him off of his donkey to be able to get his attention. That's the problem with being an insider. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch dying to be baptized. Saul had to be knocked around by the Savior. <laughs> think about that. On that note, let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you for Philip and his faithfulness. And we thank you for the account of this Ethiopian eunuch who made such a big difference in the church. God, thank you for these things. Uh, I pray for our availability. I pray for our willingness to look at scripture and to, and to press into uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit and to press into community. And, and, and to look at our circumstances and how they're speaking to us today. And God, I pray that we would be available just, just a little bit. Just, just take small steps and it would be amazing at what could happen in our lives. And we, we pray that we would do that by the power of your resurrected son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.